Welcome to a special James-only edition of the Unpublished Podcast. Uh, I don't know why Amy has let me do this, but it's because she's not here. She's gone. Uh, she's had to drive five hours away. To had to. She has got to drive. Got be, had the privilege of driving five hours away to see her brother for her, his birthday, which is very exciting. But it means uh, we had a little bit of a busy day yesterday when we'd normally record. Didn't get a chance. So I said, you know what? I'll do it by myself. So a lot of you, a few of you have sent in questions for me that you might think um, I could answer by myself, which is nice because I don't have any, you know, I don't have Amy over my shoulder, you know, distracting me. You can just be pure focus, pure focus on your questions. Uh, A few relationship questions, a few questions about capitalism, a few questions about my own writing, which I'm really excited to dive into. Uh, I hope that you enjoy this. I've never done a by myself podcast before it seems a little bit harder it's nice to have Amy to bounce off so I'm gonna try and slow down a little bit try and breathe a little bit I'm gonna try and cut down on my ums and ahs and likes if I can and replace them with pauses which will be good um so I'm just gonna start diving into some of these questions I have them on my computer here um so I'm not gonna really I don't I'm gonna leave everyone anonymous if that's okay um mainly because a lot of people's Instagram handles just to me, I I don't know, like, it feels a bit awkward to me referring to someone as an Instagram handle. I know that shouldn't, but I just feel like I, I prefer to leave it anonymous. So apologies if I haven't given you your due recognition, um, but I will do my best to answer your questions well. So one of the first ones is a relationship, a relationship question. And it uh, this person is asking, how do you or we manage boundaries between our work life and our love life? And that's really interesting. Sorry, I have to take a breath. Whew. Wow, it's really much harder to handle your breath talking by yourself. You don't get a break. Um, how do we handle our uh, love life and our work life? So it's actually a really hard one for us. Um, I think we've talked about it together before. We spend, because we also have this lovely, very small apartment, um, our workspace, our living space, our eating space are all the same thing. Um, but, you know, Amy and I are very lucky that we have very different work styles and we have different things we're interested in. For example, I don't mind keeping a spreadsheet. Amy would probably quit if she had to keep, you know, if she had to do one major spreadsheet, she'd probably just give up, I would say. Uh, whereas for me, spreadsheets kind of life. I love spreadsheets. My whole master's thesis was basically one big spreadsheet on the Roman economy. And I loved it. It was maybe like I had so much, I probably spent six months of my life, two hours a day contributing to this spreadsheet. Very elegant. If anyone wants to see it, you, you may, it won't make any sense. Um, but I love it. It's my pride and joy. So I handle the spreadsheets, Amy, obviously, I mean, there's some synergy because we both have a lot of common interest in the topic, uh, the subject matter of what the business is. So that ends up being a lot of our personal conversation too, you know? So we're out for a date um, and we let the boundaries blur a little bit, which is nice. It never feels like work talk though. You know, what feels like work talk often though is, oh, we've got to pay this bill, blah, 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 blah. Of course that stuff can be a little bit of a bummer to bring into the relationship. But a lot of what Amy writes um, on Instagram, a lot of what we talk about in the podcast starts off as just private conversations between us, um, things that we're interested in anyway, ideas that we're interested in anyway, that we would would probably talk about anyway without the business. And then that just sort of provides fodder for Amy, uh, for us to talk about on Instagram, on the podcast. 
So I guess boundaries, we have to be, we should be better at this. We need to get better at this because um, it can be really hard. It can be really hard. Um, but, it, you know, I, it sounds super annoying to say, but I just feel super lucky that Amy and I don't clash too much as, as being business partners and being um, romantic partners. Maybe because we've known each other for so long now, which we'll get into that a little bit more uh, in another question, but I've just known her for so long. It's just so, we know our roles, you know, and maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's the answer. You just, you got to know your roles. You got to know who's doing what, when. You got to respect each other's rhythms. You know, Amy works a lot faster than me. Amy has a lot more stamina than me. So she has to respect that I'm not going to be working as hard as her. And if I did, I would burn out very quickly. And I have to respect that, you know, when I bring up an idea of something I might want to do, that she's going to start actioning it that day. <laughs> that might seem a little bit quick for me. So it's about respecting each other's work um, styles, I would, I would say. Hopefully that answers your question. Uh, and then kind of related, the next question is managing, um, how do you manage to share vulnerable artist thoughts with the person you love and want to impress? So I find this really hard with Amy because she is the queen creativity coach, right? So I feel like if I'm struggling with my art, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have the source right next to me. I have the person next to me who literally for a living coaches people through creative blocks. And I'm just sitting here absorbing all her wisdom all the time. So how come I'm struggling with something that's really hard? And you know, what I'll say is it's even hard when Amy is your wife and so I can understand why it would be even way harder to share your vulnerable artistic thoughts and your anything about your process, anything about what you're working on with someone who wasn't Amy, um, because it's already hard there. So I would just say often people who aren't themselves artistic or, so that's a stupid thing to say. Everyone I think has some, an artist's soul in them somewhere or people who don't understand maybe your form of art. Uh, they just need to be, you do explain something to them earnestly. And I should take my own advice here. Um, as I was saying to the, we had a little meetup in Sydney yesterday with um, other creatives. And I was telling them about a argument Amy and I got into a few weeks ago because we were seeing some of our best friends and they said something along the lines of, you know, can I read your book, please? And I don't know why, but that really triggers me because I feel unseen. Cause I'm like, I, well, not unseen. I just feel, how would this person ever get this person who's never written a book before this person who's doesn't do anything artistic in their life? How would they understand how intimate it, that question is? And it annoys me that they don't understand, but of course they don't understand. So after my initial sort of jerkish reaction is not a knee jerk. I was being a jerk to, to these people, these lovely people who were asking just a very kind, polite question. Amy kind of pulled me up on it and said, well, why don't you, I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was along the lines of, well, why don't you ex actually express what your reaction is there, what your vulnerability is there? And I said to them, look, to be honest with you, I don't want you, I don't want to send you my book because one, it's like the rawest part of my mind right now. Um, and it's not, I, I don't feel ready to share that really raw part of me right now. And two, because it's just, I need you to understand that it's a big thing that you're asking me. It's not a flip. It's not a small thing. I need you to treat it with a lot more respect. I need you to treat it with, um, an understanding that this is, this is a really scary part of myself that is hard to share. And also it's an awkward part to share because if I share my fantasy novel with you, you don't read fantasy novels, you don't know anything about it. 
you're going to read it and it's probably going to be a bit like, what the fuck to you? And so you're going to be like, oh, it was good. And that's just, you know, an awkward piece of feedback because I'm either not going to believe you or it's going to sound, you know, do you understand? I don't think I can explain myself super well, but the point is that it's worth explaining yourself to these people. And as soon as I explained all these thoughts to our friends, they were like, oh, thank you so much. I had no idea. Like people who aren't doing artistic things every day, just through no fault of their own, don't get it. And we just sometimes have to gently explain to them, I think, that what we do is really vulnerable, what we do can be really scary, um, and just tell them what we actually need from them um, and how they can support us when we do share our journey with them. I hope that helps a little bit. Sorry if it was a little bit rambly. Uh, I do feel like now I feel like saying people's names because sometimes it just feels more natural now. So I'm, I maybe I will start saying who's asked the question. So Caroline um, is asking me if I'd be open to hear about how my autism informs my life as a creative. So hmm, it's an interesting one. So for those of you who don't know, over the last few years, I've been on the journey of discovering that I'm autistic, which has involved doctor sessions, psychologist sessions, a lot of introspection. Um, I have never... I, so I've never asked for a formal diagnosis from my psychologist. I talked to my psychologist about it and um, she is a professional autism psych. And she said, I wouldn't bother getting a diagnosis because because of your life circumstances. Like there's just, it just costs a lot of money. It's gonna take a lot of time and it's not gonna be of any benefit to you other than having a piece of paper. And anyway, we can discuss it as if you are autistic anyway, because she, because that's what we had come to the conclusion of anyway. So it made no material difference to me. So that's just a little bit of a share about my journey there. Um, but how is my autism effect? I used to think of my autism as like all the parts of me that I think are autistic. I used to just sort of think of as quirks of my personality. And I suppose what figuring out that I am autistic has done, it's helped me to have a more unified integration of what those things are and have a little bit more of an acceptance of them. For example, hyperfocus, you know, I will, if I have a task to do and I'm interested in it, there's just no pulling me out of it at all. And it's been useful to have a lens to talk about that with, with Amy, for example, because she used to be a little bit, she used to kind of not really understand why she'd be talking to me and I wouldn't be able to talk back to her. And, and she would think I was ignoring her, but I would be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I literally couldn't hear you because I was, my attention is so focused right now that I've lost the ability to process any other information other than what I'm focusing on right now. And so that can seem like rudeness, but for me, it's been really liberating to be able to explain stuff like that to people like Amy or other, I mean, I haven't really, I do find that I don't really talk about it with friends and family because whenever I brought it up, they've just been like, oh, that's weird, which has been not super pleasant to be honest with you. So I've sort of, I mean, you might notice I've kind of shied away from talking about autism lately because when I started talking about it first, those were the, that was the overwhelming response from most people of just either indifference or disbelief because they're like, oh, but you're my friend and you, and we have, we, we, you're my friend. So I'm not, I'm not friends with, with someone with autism, am I? Oh my gosh, like that almost seemed like the response. And it was just, to me, just completely bizarre. It was, anyway, I mean, I, kinda, I guess I kind of get it. So that is all a rambly way of saying um, that the way that I integrate my autism with my creativity is embracing 
what I used to think of as maybe annoying personality traits, like my hyper-focus and just realizing that I actually just need to tap into them and really understand them, figure, think about them, figure out how they work and work around them or use them as a tool. So hyper-focus is a great tool, but also with that comes, I really don't feel like I have a lot. I, I, can, um, I can burn out a lot more quickly, I think, than other than neurotypical people. Maybe like I, I just, especially the more interactions I have to do, the more person-facing my job is or more person-facing my creative work is, the more likely I am to essentially, like, you know, if I do big blocks, especially even just a regular creative work. So say if I, if I have to learn, I cannot write more than 500, maybe 700 words a day. If I go through a period where I'm writing 1,000 to 1,500 words a day, I don't know if it's autism. I don't know if it's just who I am, but fuck, I will just go into a, I will reliably, reliably descend into weeks where I can't do anything. Um, weeks. Wow. My breath is like, honestly, I don't feel stressed about doing this podcast, but I've just realized that having a partner to do a podcast with is so much better because I just, I don't have a chance when you, when you don't have a chance when you're by yourself to stop and breathe. Like I, if, for those of you out there who have, who run your own po- podcast respect, because fucking hell, I just feel like I'm always behind on the breath, always behind on the breath. Any, any tips about that? I would definitely appreciate so, Caroline, I hope that in some way answers your question. Um, I don't know. It's something I'm still working out. Something I'm still working out for sure. Um, this person, uh, it's just another Anna, is asking, how and when am I planning on publishing my book, which I've written, um, and that they can't wait to read it? Well, thank you very much. Um, so, I've now written two books, and I am probably most of the way through a third. What am I doing? First book, hmm, I probably submitted it to... 10 to 15 publishers, which is not very many, because they say you should do hundreds. I kind of gave up on it. To be honest with you, I kind of treated it as a learning book. I felt like it was good, but I was definitely still, I don't know. I don't know if I was, if it was there. I probably could have, maybe I could have gone back and done some major edits and made it be there. Very proud of a lot of things in it, um, but I don't think I will try and publish it. My second book, I am still submitting very slowly to publishers. I find this the hardest part of the journey. I find it so hard to motivate motivate myself to submit my book to publishers. I don't really understand why. I'd like to do a bit more inner work and understanding that. Um, It's a conversation that Amy and I have a lot. Why I don't like this. Beyond it just being boring, I think it's something to do with vulnerability. But I have a bit more faith in this book. I've had some (sighs) friendly responses from some publishers. No one... So not publishers, I guess it's, it's been agents so far. Um, a few friendly responses from agents asking to see more or saying I liked it, but it wasn't for me, which is a big improvement on the first book, which just basically got form rejections for everyone. Um, which, I mean, for those of you who don't understand the process, it's basically you cold email or use this sort of software called a query tracker, I think it's called, um, to send them cold solicitations to read your manuscript. Often you send a cover letter, synopsis, and a few pages of your book. Um, so a few people have, in the first book I submitted nothing, just thank you for submission, not not for me, bye. The second one I've had a little bit more like, oh, this is really interesting, I liked the first few pages, but I'm not looking for anything that's science, um, that's climate science at the moment or something like that, or um, I have a few, I have a couple of larger requests out there, but it always takes ages and ages. This is the other thing is you send something out and you might not hear back for six months. So I'm just still in the very slow process of submitting that novel to people. Um, and as I say, I 
I'm optimistic about it, but my strategy is always, as soon as you finish one novel and start submitting it, start on the next one, which kind of hmm, has bitten me in the butt a little bit because and then I get really into the next one and I focus on that one and I kind of lose interest in submitting the second one. So it's sort of dumb, but it does mean that I can keep practicing my craft and keep um, writing while I'm waiting, basically, just playing the waiting game to hear back from uh, agents and publishers. So you know, it can take years to for all the feelers you put out there to come back. And, you know, as I said, optimistic, would I ever self-publish? I would definitely consider self-publishing. Um, as some of you might know, I think Amy and I are next book we write is we can write together. And I guess there's probably a good chance that we just self-publish. I don't want to say just self-publish, that we end up simply self-publishing it. And I say simply because it means that we can do it all ourselves rather than having to wait for gatekeepers. Um, so that's exciting for me. Uh, the novel I'm writing at the moment is quite complicated. It's uh, kind of involves... The main character is a prophetess, but every time she gets a vision, she loses part of her memory. So she kind of lives in this fragmentary memory state where she's not quite sure who she knows. Who she, it's almost like she has early onset Alzheimer's, um, but brought on by her own use of her magical gifts. And she knows every time she ha she goes to use her gift, that she's going to forget something. So it's really scary for her. And anyway, she's the kind of chief palace prefect of for the emperor of this empire. And... One night, the emperor is murdered, and she has to solve the murder. All the while, trying to navigate the politics of the situation, forgetting everyone's name. So it's just like, because of the time stuff, timey-wimey stuff, it, it's quite complicated, and it's taking me longer than normal, but I have been really enjoying it. Uh, so that's where I'm at with my writing at the moment, so thank you for asking. Um, so Saruja asks, um, I want to know more about high school and when you met. Uh, I think we've explained it a little bit before, but... I mean, we've explained how we got together, but how we met basically was Amy was the new kid from England and we had, I think, five out of six classes together the year she came to school. And I can still remember her walking into my modern history class, uh, my ancient history class, sorry. So she walks through the door. I'm sitting down already facing the door and she walks in and I don't know, like, I don't know why, but the memory is so vivid to me and I can't tell you why. Like, I can really picture her walking in. I had no concept that this person was going to be important to me. It was almost just like some kind of accident or something magical basically happened where I can just remember. I can so remember. It wasn't a love at first sight thing. Like, I was maybe interested in her. I saw her. But I wasn't... I was going through a bit of a weird time myself where I wasn't really interested in dating anyone at the time. And I was kind of just... There was almost like an immediate... Not attraction, just oh, that's an interesting person thing. And then we end up having all our classes together. We put in a group performance together in our drama class. It was supposed to be three people, but the third girl just never showed up to anything. So we end up basically doing a two-person play in very close proximity. Still didn't get together. Um, I, and you'll be so annoyed at this. I, even though I was interested in her as a person, I didn't develop any feelings for her at first in that stage. Um, as I said, I was in a bit of a weird place where I was sort of figuring out who I was. I really had that almost like that dial turned off for myself at the time. But then kind of as I started to emerge from that weird place around the end of the year, um, and that dial came back on, I started to be like, oh, that Amy girl's pretty cool. And then I remember I saw her in, she had a role in the musical 
which I wasn't involved in. I just went on to see, and I remember seeing her up on stage and just, she's an incredible actor. She was, and she was renowned as the, you know, we actually had a really strong year of actors. Um, the school we went to drama was sort of like a cool thing to do. Like if you were in the year 12 play, you were kind of as cool as someone in the first 15 rugby team to give you an example. Um, and Amy was sort of renowned as a great actor in our year group. And she has an amazing singing voice as well, um, which should probably be embarrassed about me saying, but she does have a great voice. And I remember just seeing her up on stage and she was in this car, like it was, um, the musical was Oliver and she was playing, oh, can't even remember the character's name, but she had this amazing period dress on and her hair was dyed red. She was belting out this song and she was like just doing these amazing facial expressions. And I kind of just, something just clicked for me and I was like, fuck, this is a really, really cool woman. And from that moment on, I was interested. Yeah. And maybe like four months later, got together. Um, she was dating my best friend. I had to steal her away. Um, but I was dirty because it was like, she had liked me the whole time. And then basically like, as soon as I started to like her, she started to date my best friend. And I was like, fucking hell, that's so dumb. Anyway, one or over. And here we are, like 13, 12, 13 years later. So, sorry, Jack, sorry, but uh, I got to benefit, got to benefit, very nice. Um, so capitalism and art is a big one that I keep getting asked about and have written a whole big notes file and about it, which might be better as a blog post, but I'll just chat to you briefly about it. So I guess this is also about um, the post that I wrote for on Amy's feed the other day, which uh, had a very provocative title selling your art is anti-capitalist now obviously it's a kind of ridiculous thing to say <laughs> it's deliberately provocative um it is in many ways kind of meaningless like what even is anti-capitalism i think that's hard to define what even is capitalism also very hard to define um but i guess i'll just go through a few points i wanted to maybe explain a little bit further what i meant by that what my ideas around that are if you're interested um, which I'm guessing you are because a lot of you ask questions about this. So here we go. I will try to keep my breath and read from the dot points. So um, basically just to start, just to go on a mini rant, I get annoyed at even the use of the word capitalism because it's just, it gets used as this, I don't know, I, I, people bandy it about really nilly. Like it's some defined thing. It's just capitalism is not this unchangeable monolith. It gives, a, I think it gives a learned helplessness to people. Um, and people go, oh, well, this won't work because we're living under capitalism. It's like, capitalism is just a collection of laws made by people. It's not that, like there's some kind of capitalism, you know, book they bring in and they slam on the table and they're like, we will now obey the capitalism laws. It's like, capitalism just, it's an ideology lawmakers bring to the table when they make laws. And by the same token, that's why, you know, in Australia, we can have, some very capitalist uh, seeming business laws, but then we can also have free Medicare. That's not capitalist. It's like, because these two things can work, can live together in the same system. And so, and my point is that what we think of as capitalism, are just laws we can change and it's all changeable and it's all, um, and it's even just difficult to define what capitalism is. But I suppose if I had to, if I had to define it for the purpose of the argument, it would be, um, I guess maybe what I should say first is uh, 
capitalism is not commerce. And this is where I think a lot of confusion came in my post. It's people like, oh, well, of course, selling your art is capitalist because you're selling and selling is capitalist. Like, nope, selling is not capitalist. Selling markets, commerce exists outside of capitalism. It exists in all sorts of other systems. Like there are an infinite number of other ideologies and economic systems that where you can sell stuff. Even communist, even communist countries sell stuff. China sells stuff. You know, they're not a capitalist country. Uh, anarchists sell stuff. It's, you know, people in the ancient world, people in the medieval world, living under serfdom, feudalism, sold stuff. It's not... Selling stuff didn't happen in the 1800s or 1700s when, you know, when Adam Smith wrote um, The Wealth of Nations. It didn't just come out of thin air. Selling, people have been selling things for ages. I mean, a really fascinating book about this is David Graeber's book, Debt, where he talks about how the, the methods through which we've been buying and selling stuff for the last 5,000 years. Super interesting stuff. So the simple act of selling is not capitalist. It's, it's meaningless to say it's capitalist. It's meaningless to say almost any tangible action is capitalist because capitalism, capitalism is really just referring to the ideology and the thought process behind doing something and the intent of someone doing something. So we can make laws and we have laws that are capitalist, yes, because someone has made those laws with the intention of abiding by the capitalist ideology. But those laws are ephemeral. They're not, I mean, they're only real in that they are enforced. They're not like, it's not some kind of universal natural law that is capitalism or something. So that's what I want to say about commerce. Um, and also what I want to say is since capitalism is an ideology, when you sell your art, you can do it in a different spirit. You can do it in a spirit that's, let's say, let me see what I've said in my dot points. So compare the way Amazon sells something to the way a small independent artist sells something. So there's a difference between selling something you've essentially made with your own hands in order to support your own lifestyle and the kind of, and the kind of commerce that happens at say the world's biggest bookseller, Amazon. Amazon is trying to maximize its profits alone. It will exploit whomever it needs to in order to do so. It doesn't want anyone to put any limits on what it is allowed to do in order to gain profit. And that's a capitalist system, a capitalist company. Compare that to an artist selling their work directly to consumers. They might be, I mean, obviously there are many ways to sell your work, but sorry about the clicky tongue thing. I don't know why I do that. I think I do that when my breathing gets a little bit out of whack or maybe to replace an arm or an R. Anyway, so compare that, I did it again. Compare that to a independent artist, and they might be selling their art to make connection. They might be doing it for a sense of fulfillment. They might be doing it um, generously. They might be doing it fairly. Um, they might be doing it for, sure, a financial reward, but they might be doing it for one that they think is fair, not something that's trying to exploit other people to do it. They might do their best to treat their customers and their other, business, other businesses they work with well. They might try to source their materials, materials ethically, not because they think they should or because, well, sorry, not because they think they might be able to sell it for a premium because they've sourced it ethically, but because they think it's the right thing to do. Um, they might offer discounts to people in need when they don't have to. They might think that there should be fair rules that govern the game they're playing and that might limit the actions of bad actors, even if it might make things a little bit harder for themselves. Uh, these are all things that are part of someone's ideology when they sell whatever they're selling. So you can sell with the attitude of a capitalist or you can sell with the attitude of an anti-capitalist or of a whatever you want to be. Um, 
and what else? Yeah, so basically it's the spirit in which you sell your art that's important. Um, you don't have to buy into this idea that capitalism pervades everything or capitalism is some, you know, evil force that that stands above everything and is pulling the strings. Like capitalism is just some white dudes in government making laws. It's like if we can just change people's minds about stuff, if we can if we can show a better way. I know this is obviously very hopeful and utopian to me and you might dismiss it um, as wishful thinking, but... It really is just, it's just an attitude change and, and you can choose to operate your business and be, and make money and live off your business. You can choose to do it in an ethical way that isn't only about profit. And that's the thing about capitalism. Capitalism only cares about profit, no matter what it's doing, no matter how exploitative it's being, um, no matter how jerkish it's being, uh, it cares about accumulating capital for itself at the expense of other people, um, playing a zero sum game, uh, doesn't care about any of the other nice things that we might like to do as artists. So really open to continue that discussion. I really don't feel like my thoughts are 100% ordered on it. Very difficult to talk off the cuff about that sort of stuff. And I'd much rather write it down, obviously, but hopefully you found something interesting there. Fuck, I've only gone one out of three pages of questions. I feel like I'm going to have to go quickly now because I'm running a little bit out of time because I have to meet my little sister for coffee. Sorry, Livy. Uh, someone said, <laughs> words of flesh said, Everything except golf. <laughs> I suggest, Amy suggested I could talk about golf. Um, I don't know if you're watching the video. You can see my golf clubs behind me there. Yay. Um, I love my golf clubs. I love my golf clubs. I want That's me talking about golf. Done. There you go. Golf. Uh, after you hear about... Um, when, when am I getting Amy another dog? Uh, I don't think we're going to be getting a dog anytime soon. I think um, we loved Frodo. We loved having Frodo. We loved minding Walter when Walter comes over. Uh, we absolutely love dogs. We don't want that commitment right now, though. Just want to be free for a little while longer. I do definitely think we're going to be getting dogs again in the future, but not right now is the answer. I really want a sausage, sausage dog, a wiener dog. Really want one. Amy doesn't so much, but I love him. Um, that was from Beck, and Beck also asks, "What's it like being married to such a divine specimen of a human?" I feel lucky every day. She honestly is a dream to be married to. Um, not saying that everything's always rosy, but, uh, she is genuinely a great wife. I'm very happy, uh, that we got married. Sarah asks, uh, do you want more visibility or does your current setup work better for you? Would you do this solo? It's <sighs> a great question. I would never have done. I, mean, I, th I think as I've said in the past, I'm so grateful for Amy. I would never have had the guts. I don't think, I mean, I don't want to say I would never, but. I would have been much harder for me to have the guts to do this sort of thing. I'd always wanted to, to talk about, I don't know, to be someone who deals in ideas and who works in ideas. And that's why I was at university. That's what I love to do. But would I have ever been able to have the courage to do it publicly like this? I don't know, Sarah. I like my current role right now. I like how my current level of visibility, would I do more? Yes, I'd do more. Um, I don't know. It's interesting with something like The Collective, I always feel like people are signing up to see Amy and to talk to Amy and be coached by Amy. I think I have some interesting things to say, but I'm kind of happy. I mean, for any of you who've been in the collective, you might know that I occasionally do get up and talk in the classes, but I more like to do it as another student rather than like as an, as a teacher, maybe I got to move out of that a little bit or something. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm really, really, I'm very happy just supporting Amy and I have no kind of ego about being the top dog or anything. I don't care. I'm really happy for, 
when Amy has a success, I really do feel like it's my success. Like I, I fully integrated into the identity of our business. So it's just like, whether it's my face or not, like if Amy sold a book tomorrow and I helped her write half of it, I would have no problem with someone being like, oh, but can we just put Amy's name on the cover? Cause she's more famous. I really don't think I would care. I mean, maybe, maybe it would hurt me a little bit. I genuinely do feel like, I mean, something I think about sometimes is <laughs> it's really fucking morbid, but like, what if Amy got hit by a bus tomorrow? And like, I would have no, I don't know. I don't have any marketable skills. <laughs> like I just sort of put myself into the background, but then I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? I have a lot of skills. A lot of things I could do, but it might just look a bit different. I would be very, obviously, for the, I would obviously be extremely sad that AU was dead. That would be horrible. But also I would be like, um, I, th I feel like, uh, would I still, would I keep doing this? I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> that went too morbid, too fast, maybe. Um, but yeah, I, uh, Sarah, I am, I am pretty happy uh, with the current setup. Would I do it solo? I would do more stuff solo. I, I would certainly write a book by myself, um, like a nonfiction book by myself. Obviously, I write my fiction by myself. Um, I would do more. I would love to do more, more blog posts, but I tend to get a bit lazy with that. So sorry about that. I would like to do more. I guess I would like to do more posts on Amy's page. Um, yeah, hopefully that answers it. Um, anything else? I feel like I've covered most of it now. It was pretty quick, the last few. Sorry, I'm kind of burpy now as well. Fuck, I just really... I know I'm probably the fifth time I complained about it, but fuck, it's hard doing it by yourself. Um, have I done that? Yes, I've done that page. Sorry, just listen to me ramble here. <laughs> Someone's asked me um, if I would talk... Uh, hey, hey, Shay has asked uh, if I talk more about Brandon Sanderson just free reign from appreciation and how it influences my writing craft. I just love Sando so much. Um, as you probably know, I have a tattoo of Kaladin, one of um, Brandon Sanderson's most famous characters from the Stormlight Archive on my forearm. And I just think that he's, he's so wise and humble. And I mean, if you want to look at an interesting business model, look at Brandon Sanders. It definitely, I mean, he's, the thing about capitalism is the, the bigger your business gets, by its nature, the more ideologically capitalist it is because it's getting more concerned with growth. It's getting more concerned with, um, there's, there's, you know, interesting relationships between waged employees, uh, and the, and the business owner, which I think are much more difficult to navigate than when you've just got a husband and wife combination, things become a lot more complicated, but he does appear to be running. Uh, he's got a, he basically, so he's a really famous author, but he's started his own company called dragon steel, which he runs all sorts of things through like his YouTube channel, podcasts, um, merchandising, special editions of his books. Um, he did his Kickstarter campaign through it. You know, all these interesting ideas that, I don't know, it's a really interesting business, really really worth looking into for how someone can, I think, run an ethical business that's very focused on his community, his friends, his family. Uh, he just sort of seems to employ people he likes to work with. Um, I don't know how well he pays them. I don't know if he exploits them, obviously, who knows, but I'd like to think he does, he treats them well. We have no knowledge of this, but yeah, he's a good guy. And I love his books. I really love them. Um, what is next? I think that, I think, you know, oh, best ice cream flavor, ice cream brand and flavor. Fuck. It's not really going to be best, best fate. If I go to an ice cream shop, I'll often get, um, it depends what kind of shop it is. Like, so we have a gelato place called Gelato Messina in Australia, which I'm sure um, there are a lot of gelato places of that style overseas as well. They tend to do, lots of special kind of like crazy ice creams and I'll have a special sport up and it'll be like, you know, if during Game of Thrones, for example, there'd be like the Sansa Stark or something. And it would be 
20 different ingredients and I'd always go for the craziest looking one there. But if I'm going to a normal gelato place, I will just get, I'll often get a um, pistachio or a hazelnut. I kind of like the nuttier ones. Brand though, oh, if I had to choose a brand like from the shop. Oh, you know what? I'm really into Mars bar ice creams right now. I don't know, a bit tacky, but delicious. Delicious. Uh, and then hey, hey, Shay. No, that's just part of the Brandon Sanderson question. So yeah, I think I might um, think, well, this is an interesting spin on the capitalism question. Um, Violet Friction, uh, Fictions asks about capitalism, um, what about its demand for growth and its effect, its constant effect on artists, on artists? I mean, the thing about capitalism is it tells you you always need to grow, but you don't have to buy into that. You can just be happy. Like, you know what? This is how much I need to earn to live a comfortable life for myself. I don't have to keep going past that. I can choose to deliberately limit it. Tim Ferriss talks about this a little bit, like friends he knows who went down the route of, I want to build a giant business so I can sell it. Grow it and sell it. Versus his friends who are like, you know what? I'm just going to try and make a sustainable, profitable business that's just going to tick over every year and give me the lifestyle I want. And how both of them, like, in his eyes are completely valid. And in my eyes, I feel like the the, the latter, the um, the person who wants to make the sustainable business just to support our style. I mean, that's so, such a beautiful thing. You don't have to buy into this always growing, always getting bigger and better philosophy, in my view. Maybe easier said than done. So I think that's it for me. I hope that it was okay. I really hope you didn't get too distracted by my difficulties with my breathing just then. I know that I had a, I had a really good time, despite the breathing issues and the, the tongue clicking and the ums and ahs and stuff. But will I do another solo episode? I don't know. I'm going to see how this one turns out. Uh, please let me know how it turned out because I don't know. It could have been terrible. Um, got a bachelor week and this weekend, so I'm going to play a lot of video games, eat some cookies. Um, and yeah, yeah, I'm going to enjoy that. So um, much love to everyone. Thank you. As always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Really appreciate it. Um, it should be news about our merch coming out soon as well, which I know some of you are excited for. So expect that probably by the first couple of weeks of November to be able to buy merch. Maybe shot myself in the foot there by saying that. But yeah, um, lots of love to all of you. Thanks for listening to me and goodbye.